Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest today is John Dusukun, Marketing Team Lead at Codeway Studios. In today's episode, Jantu takes us behind the scenes of the world's number one subscription app publisher. He sheds light on the why behind their reliance on paid UA, the challenges posed by the post-ATT landscape, and their approach to testing and diversifying marketing channels. He also delves into the creative processes that drive their advertising strategies, especially in situations where competitive analysis is not very helpful. Join us on this fascinating journey behind the scenes of the world's number one subscription app publisher. I'm excited to welcome Jantu Sogan to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Jantu, welcome to the show. Hey, Shamant. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, uh, it's an honor having you. I know we've been in touch for a while, so excited to speak with you also because you have very unique set of experiences that we will dive into today. Uh, And a lot of these experiences are around growing post-ATT and growing at massive, significant volumes. We'll dive into all of that. To start off, your team is the most downloaded subscription app publisher in the world today. I think some of your teammates posted over the weekend Number nine is this company called OpenAI, and you guys are like the top subscription app publisher for 2023 by a fairly big margin, which is also funny because you guys do make a lot of AI apps uh, as well. So a lot of your growth has been due to paid UA. I want to ask this because in many circles, paid UA can be a dirty word. Obviously, I have a little bit of a bias as to you. So can you speak to the why of relying on paid UA for growth? Yeah, definitely. I can speak of many ways for paid UA, but let's start by discussing what else you can do to grow your app if you're not doing paid UA. You can use another paid channel such as influencer marketing, or you can choose to prioritize organic channels such as app store optimization. ASO or ASA is where I see many developers are going for in the first place. And I see them focusing on it maybe a little too much. Uh, don't get me wrong, like ASO can be an excellent and less risky way of start growing your app. I, I agree. But there you're limited by the existing people have of your services. It's not always like super scalable, to be honest. So let's go by example. Let's say you're marketing a ChatGPT app. ASO can be an amazing channel for such a concept because people will be already searching for your service on the app store and you can drive a lot of downloads just by ranking for relevant keywords, right? But if you prioritize this strategy over paid UA, your growth is only limited by the existing awareness of your service. In this case, people who are searching for a ChatGPT app. Also, uh, you become very vulnerable in case there are occasional ups and downs in the trends or increased competition in in, there are like millions of ChatGPT 
the apps on the App Store. For example, when um, OpenAI launched its official ChatGPT app, it totally disrupted the many apps that were relying on ASO faced huge drops in downloads. This is where paid UA can come into play for us and make a huge difference. It offers you a path to sustainable growth to the point that would be impossible if you were only doing ASO. This was also how our SKI app kept growing at an amazing scale, even after OpenAI launched its official app. Because with paid UA, you're not limited to the immediate meaning of the trend. What I mean by it is you can look at trends and you can extract different use cases out of that trend. For example, while growing SK, what we realized was many people were already aware of ChatGPT, but most of them didn't know what to do with this amazing technology. Here, we started to extract different use cases. We positioned SKI for different use cases instead of just relying on being a regular ChatGPT app on mobile. We work together with our creative team and come up with ideas. Maybe let's make it creative about how to start a business and make money with SKI. Or let's make it creative about how to get help from SKI to fix your relationship. And suddenly, like we unlocked a tremendous growth by showing people all these different use cases in engaging and innovative video creatives. And that's the short story of SKI for you. And one final note uh, that I have to mention, PageRay can also be too addicting sometimes, which makes you disregard the potential of ASO. This is something we've been tackling lately and started seeing amazing results already. So I don't want to discount the importance of ASO, but I guess paid UA is our strong muscle. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and I fully agree that it is much more stable and predictable than ASO or even... In fact, I find some of these questions often come to me from people who have worked a lot on the web. And I also point out that on the web, it's very different because you have companies that build on content marketing and they've gone to IPO. If you look at HubSpot or Yelp, they don't need paid UA because they have SEO and content marketing. On mobile, you don't have an equivalent of SEO, which means you have to rely on paid UA to scale. You guys do rely significantly on paid UA. So when you're launching new apps, and I know you guys have a number of apps uh, that are active and running, can you walk me through the process of testing for new apps and how it works in practice, because you have to figure out and understand that paid UA is workable for a new app, not just in terms of CPA, but also scalability. Walk us through how the testing works for a new app. I guess this is another part where paid UA can play a huge role for us. I'm not going to lie again. <laughs> the very first thing we do when launching an app is launch a paid campaign for it. Uh, so this way we can start analyzing metrics from day zero, from the first uh, few hours, right? And this is a luxury that maybe we sometimes take for granted, but something that I'm really grateful for. Having a large portfolio of apps also helps because when we first launch an app and launch the first campaign, we look at the overall marketing funnel and different metrics of the app and compare each step of the funnel with our existing apps. And we tend to be very optimistic about it because mm -hmm. that's the only way to bring new ideas to life and keep the team motivated, yeah. keep people working on it. And we look for a spark in at least one or two metrics. For example, maybe your CPI is too low, but in-app metrics aren't there yet. In that case, we say, okay, let's work on the product, let's add new features or let's work on finding creators that will attract audiences with better intent. 
or maybe shift the campaign optimization strategy. You can do a lot of things to uh, work on different metrics. And also sometimes in-app metrics are great. They show a great sign of product market fit, but ROAS isn't there yet because the upper funnel is really expensive. In that case, we double down on creative testing until we can lower the upper funnel costs, such as CPI or maybe increase CTR, etc. And once we see a good number at a decent scale in our target market, this is usually US iOS, then we try to scale it within US and beyond and see how it goes. Of course, once you start scaling, you become more vulnerable to creative fatigue. So we increase our creative efforts as well if we decide to scale it beyond the testing budget. What all of that also underscores to me is it's not like flipping a switch where you get a yes or no very quickly. Sounds like it is an iterative process where you are looking at the scalability in the product metrics and upper funnel metrics as well. If metrics are strong enough across the funnel, then you have a good sense that this can scale, right? And that's what I'm taking away from this. You also mentioned that your team was born into iOS 14 and that a lot of your growth happened post ATT. So was it easier or harder because you didn't know a world that was IDFA focused? How did that timing impact how you guys approached marketing and UA? Yeah, it's hard to tell because I was in a totally different industry. And also Codeway was founded in 2020 and we started doing paid UA in late 2020. So we basically didn't have any window to pre-IDFA. But I guess it helped us in the long run because from the get-go, we accepted scan and, and the privacy-centric world and tried to adapt our strategies for that. As we were working on new product identifications, we tried to prioritize concepts that we can reach to a broader audience and we avoided uh, niches and we start with apps like cleanup or faceless, which can entertain a lot of people or cleanup can provide utility to any iPhone uh, user, right? For our creative efforts, we av avoided going too niche and try to be uh, more inclusive for different use cases and different motivations. And I guess targeting users from the app level, from the creative level, how it is right now really helped us in that sense. I think that can be a great advantage because I do know a number of folks that ran marketing pre-ATT that really struggled with the changes simply because they insisted that they want to see deterministic data. Some folks I know, they basically said we're just not even going to do iOS because we can't measure as clearly as we used to. And I think for them, it was a bit of a struggle to adapt. And I think just having a clean slate, it sounds like that was an advantage for you guys. Now, and the last time we spoke, you did mention sticking mostly to Meta, Google, and TikTok for marketing. Talk to me about what the typical approach to diversification is. What channels do you generally start with and what the expansion process looks like? And do you explore channels other than Google, Meta, and TikTok? And also Google doesn't play very well with scan. How do you deal with that? So that's multiple yeah. questions right there. So talk to me about the general approach to channel diversification. Yeah, sure. So that's right. We tend to uh, stick with these hands to start with Meta, Google, and TikTok. And maybe you can take ASO and ASA into that mix, like those yeah. like five focus points. Well, 
we're launching an app and like we don't uh, prioritize one over other the one we will launch with can also depend on the type of the app we're dealing with if it's more suitable for TikTok, maybe we go for it if it's more like app with a search intent maybe let's go with google first and but like in the short term we try to launch all these five channels usually these are enough for us if there is a product market fit like we can unlock tremendous growth with these channels but of course depending on the app and the concept we we can prioritize expanding beyond these channels to SDK networks or different DSPs. So I guess whilst you're sticking with a number of channels, it's easier to look at the blended metrics or on country level. And also you have the scan, which gives a good idea, leaving Google out in this equation until scan 4.0 just rolls out. But you know, you can look at the blended metrics and you can play with budgets of different channels and try to understand its impact on overall blended metrics and this is how we go by it usually for google it's a different game right especially on ios and we basically you know try to, again try to understand google's impact but by looking at like maybe utilizing app store connect data to the point where we can or again finding an estimation for facebook TikTok, and organic and try trying to understand google that way so they're like I don't have much to share about it, but yeah, overall, yeah. But it's, it's, it's such a big network that you cannot disregard it just because you cannot measure it. Uh, it yeah. has to be there in the mix and it, it does yeah. drive performance. I can tell you that, but I, I accept that it's really tricky regarding different channels, especially when you're on the scale of SKI, such as, as we were in June the most downloaded app in the US in a couple of days. It's just like, and with paid UA and you don't have that much organic, like comparatively, and you're still relying on paid UA, but you're driving amazing number of downloads. And there we say, okay, let's diversify beyond TikTok, Facebook, Google. And we launched different channels, but what we experienced was those channels just attributing everything because they have probabilistic attribution on attributing everything on there and then you're paying for that installs for for that channel so it was really a tricky situation where then then we started relying on scam metrics for that networks as yeah. well you know like but sometimes a problem another problem is scan metrics uh, may, uh, doesn't work properly for some networks or it can become a complete mess to deal with yeah. So if you're marketing an app at the scale of SKI and mainly relying on networks that go under organic, when you look at your MMP, like user level data, and like, you don't want to add a new network and get like, and have that network, get all the attribution from organic source to, to itself because Facebook won't do it for itself. So it's just like, yeah, a tricky situation, but we yeah. do believe that you can increase your audience. You can increase your reach by diversifying your channels and we found a way to uh, make it work and yeah of course we're utilizing more channels than the big ones yeah and i agree that with the multiple channels measurement is the chief challenge and i think what you said briefly was you're still looking at the different budget levels of each of the channels at a country level and seeing how your blended cpa changes according to the budget that's the general approach you're using because you cannot trust the measurement of any of these channels individually and that's really also the approach we take and it's also what we recommend 
just because there is yeah. no way around it. I think that blended analysis, the, the perspective of looking at what's going on overall for your country, I, I, I think that's something that you should keep doing, even though you can measure uh, every network deterministically, because, yes. you know, like you cannot always trust the numbers you see, even if, if they claim to be deterministic. Exactly. You should also always be looking at what's what's happening on the big picture. Hundred percent, and I think one of the takeaway that I've heard from a lot of people is even pre ATT this was a problem, and just nobody really wanted to look at blended metrics because they were like, "Yeah, I'll just look at my campaign numbers." There was a lot of misattribution happening. What ATT forced everyone to do is just really understand that there is misattribution happening and to really look closely at things. I think that data is uh, really useful for within platform analysis of different yes. creatives and uh, different campaigns, different optimization methods, yes. but you know, it can be tricky to compare across channels, for example, by looking at such methods. I know you spoke briefly about your creative processes. Talk to me about how you guys look for new ideas for creatives when you're already at significant scale, because again, when you are like one of the larger apps in the world, I imagine it's hard to do competitive analysis. So what, how and where does the team look for inspiration? How do you, what's the general approach for creative ideation and testing? I think the game has changed a lot in the recent years. Uh, when we were starting out in 2020, 2021, we had a couple of competitors that we looked up to and, you know, like try to adopt their strategies for creative testing. They were mainly UI creatives focusing on the, what you, you would call gameplay creatives on the gaming sector. I think that translates into like UI creatives in, in the non-gaming side. We started with such creatives like our com competition and the, the UGC came into play. We started utilizing different UGCs and influencers to ma make our creators more authentic, to help it resonate with our audience. Then we came to a point where like we look at ad libraries, we dig through sensor tower and the inspiration you can get there is very limited because you are the leader of your category. Maybe you are the one who are bringing the new ideas to the table and it's really yeah. hard to get inspiration from others. Social media overall is a great source of inspiration. For example, you're marketing a chat GPT app, but you shouldn't be limited with the content creators that are just talking about chat GPT previously talked about different use cases. Why not go and search for those use cases or inspiration can come from anywhere as you're scrolling through different social media channels or as you're watching a film or sometimes a practice that we do is just like sit on a empty room and stare at a blank piece of paper and like, just try to write down your ideas uh, because like you're now in the business, you're like consuming a lot of creatives. You're trying to brainstorm. And after there comes a point like where you just like sit with a pen and paper, you can come up with great ideas that will shape the uh, sector and shape the industry. So I think we diversify our channels of inspiration before we diversify beyond Meta, TikTok, and Google. <laughs> yeah. And I like what you said about looking at the organic posts to get inspiration, because when you're at your level of skill, you have to look beyond what's in the marketplace. It's not always enough to just look at what everybody else is doing. 
that suddenly makes sense. To switch gears a bit, when you're operating at the scale you are at, how do you vet for and how what do you look for in new team members during the interviewing process, considering not very many people will have spent multiple millions a month? So what's the interviewing process like and how do you onboard and train new team members given they may not have comparable experience in the past? Online gaming in Istanbul, Turkey is a very new thing. It's a relatively new concept, AI apps, utility apps overall, but especially in our region, it's it's very new. So it's it's a luxury to look out for people who manage millions of dollars of non-gaming spent before. Like it's like that's not something that we look for as we are adding new team members. We don't expect them to like manage millions of dollars before. But we expect them to somehow extract as much knowledge as they can before come and speak to us uh, for the interview, for example, and research everything that they can find on the internet, stalk our company, try to understand our approach to creative, our approach to UA, organic or product identification, you know, I guess the first period will be curiosity. We try to see that spark in their eyes and to come and make a difference because they're curious, they can be successful anywhere. Second thing will be ownership and that sense of responsibility, because now we're at a point and at a scale that it will be impossible for me or, or my director or like anyone who's leading the team to be aware of everything that's happening in every region. So we should be able to trust people with these immense budgets that they're spending every day and making decisions on a daily basis. And they will know better than us to what, what is the best uh, decision they should be making that day. So uh, we, we, and we, we should be able to trust them and we expect them to take full responsibility and have that full sense of ownership of their product or, or what they do. Last thing I want to mention is uh, being an amazing team player, because this is something that pushes us forward and puts us um, ahead of the competition. We have a portfolio of apps. We have different teams or different individuals working on the UA of different apps, but we try to emphasize the fact that they are marketers of Codeway overall, not their specific app. For example, you're working at an app that spends 1K a day compared to your colleague who is working on an app that spends 10K a day. But something you discover on a specific network, on a specific region, a different sort of creative, different sort of optimization method can translate itself into like an amazing win for the most scaled app, right? And we experience this all the time. So we, we try to create this culture of sharing and that sense of like being a marketer of Codeway and prioritizing Codeway's success over anything else. So that's why sometimes other teams make fun of us of very ex long meetings of all of us coming together and discussing different learnings, etc. But I think that's really important to have that sense of teamwork. And also that's something we expect that selfless contribution for every member that joins our team. Indeed, indeed, right, because one person can't really drive the kind of impact and the kind of scale you guys are at. I think it, it's so important to have everybody in the team moving in the same direction. This has been great. Thank you for sharing and thank you for being so open about sharing. There's perhaps a good place for us to wrap up. But before we do that, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? You can just reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
We'll link to your LinkedIn and of course we'll link to your team and your apps, your websites as well. And yeah, this is perhaps a good place for us to wrap. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. So I think this is a this is a good place for me to make a hiring announcement as well. We're growing our team for multiple teams, you know, product, AI, marketing. So whatever you're dealing with, with the mobile app side, or if you're curious about these topics overall, please apply and and take on this challenge. And I, I also want to mention that exciting things are awaiting us in 2024 as we expand our AI app portfolio beyond APIs or open source technologies, we build our own technologies and we'll be marketing those new apps that are totally unique. And I think that will be an amazing experience as well. We will keep doing what we do best, but this is something that comes into play for us in 2024. So join us in this exciting time of growth. Amazing. And uh, we link to your hiring uh, section and any possible roles as well in the show notes. Uh, for now, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Yamat. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share.